Welcome to Real History, shows what you know about history. On this podcast, we talk about historical movies and television, anything that claims to be based on a true story, and we check how bad did they mess it up? What was life actually like during that time period? Well, that's why we're here, to separate the real history from the real history. My name is Jacob Burrows, and I don't know anything about the chronology of the Viking Age. And my name is Michael Tynan, and I'm very pleased to have a new cup or mug from Jacob here, (laughs) which he knows me so well, has a real history symbol on one side and the words fuck Lepidus on the other. So I'm very, very happy with that. Thank you, Jacob. (laughs) Uh, My name is Mark, and I was once shooed away from the set of the show Vikings by a large man and his dog. Excellent stuff. So this is our second episode covering the show Vikings, um, which we, obviously in the first one, we went a lot into the society of the Viking Age, the sort of build up to the start of it um, and sort of day to day life in this one. Because honestly, for me, I know a lot of the stuff we talked about in the first one. But when we get into the actual dates and events and things like that, it's a bit foggy. So we're going to dedicate this episode to going through the Viking Age, more or less from start to finish, hitting on the important events and things like that. So, I don't know, Mark, do you just want to launch us into it? I guess the first thing probably to do is sort of set the set the, the uh, beginning time and the end time for what is traditionally referred to as the Viking Age. There is a very large bias in this um, from the Anglosphere. I am primarily going to focus this on, on sort of Britain, Ireland and, and, and France like in terms in terms of uh, how I talk about it because those are the sources I understand and I've read. Um, obviously there's a lot in the East as well which I will touch on. Um, but the traditional sort of date I think that people would refer to as the beginning of the Viking Age is the first raid on a Western monastery which you see in the show which Ragnar in the show leads and that's the attack on Lindisfarne in 793. Now that is... Uh, historically and culturally for the anglo-saxons that's the modern day english uh, a, a a sort of a, a prominent event in their history and a bit it, like 911 yeah and yeah, it lives long going to be it, it lives really really long in in the, in the anglo-saxon memory the shock of it part of that is because in that part of the world most people certainly organized groups organized societies were very very christian and the idea that you would attack a monastery was just completely completely unacceptable like it just wouldn't really happen or very rarely would happen um maybe in the depths of a really really long scale war lindisfarne is just on this little island off the coast of the northeast of england uh off the the, the coast of an english kingdom at the time it was called northumbria and it was completely undefended and monasteries in britain and ireland and france and just in the christian world generally were usually sites of where great wealth was held because people would come and bring offerings. The monasteries would often hold the bones of saints or they would just be venerated places for, for Christians. So when there was um, expeditions from the faithful, they would come to monasteries and bring what little wealth they may have had. Nobles might also bring wealth to it. Even kings would sometimes sponsor monasteries. So if you're a Viking and you're thinking, right, I'm going to attack west, where will I go? The monasteries where you're going. No one's going to be able to fight back. They're not going to have weapons. They're not going to have soldiers. They're not going to be trained. So it's a natural sort of a place for you to attack. There is a, a written uh, phrase that came uh, after the attack. Um, and there's allusions in, in literature to how this was promised, as a, this was prophesied doom from the north, you know. And there's this phrase which is written in Latin, which is a fiore normanorum libera nos domine, which, which is in English, which sounds great, which, which means deliberous lord from the fury of the northmen. 
right? <laughs> so that's the sort of the, the opening phrase of the Viking Age, right? Um, it's important as well to say that, as, as Jacob was saying earlier, um, the, the phrase Viking is, is not necessarily one that was used, you know, before, you know, the, the or, or the late modern period. Um, so the terms that are used in the sources about Viking attacks are largely interchangeable and they also don't really care about the specific ethnic origin of their attackers so the term uh, uh, dane is often used regardless of whether they're norwegian or danish or they could even be swedish which is infuriating to me of course yeah of course you'd be, you'd be, you'd be yeah um they're often just called northmen um which I, I guess probably a little bit more uh fairer maybe <laughs> like um but they're sometimes just called the norse uh and the the phrase North men eventually evolves into Norman, uh, which I'll get into later, as part of the great hits. But um, yeah, so 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 those those terms are used interchangeably. So if throughout these episodes I refer to them as Danes or Northmen or it's the same group. They're, I'm talking about Viking warriors here. Um, anyway, making a long story boring. After the raid at Lindisfarne, that's wildly successful. So as you might imagine, as the show portrays, uh, they arrive back. People can see how successful they've been. They've been. So what does that do? That engenders a series of more raids. Over the next 50 to 60 years, uh, there are surprise attacks all around Britain and Ireland. Every monastery you can think of in Britain and Ireland at some point gets attacked by different bands of Vikings. Sometimes these attacks are quite small, two or three longboats. Sometimes they're very, very significant. They, they would be uh, aimed at sacking a full town or a village. Um, they use the the great advantage of speed and surprise they have on the base of their boats to arrive in, uh, and despite the local leaders attempting to prepare, they just can't predict where they're going to be attacked. Um, there is also a, a, some uh, level of discussion around the similarities that existed between the the the, um, the languages that the Northmen might have spoken versus the languages that existed in England, the Anglo-Saxon mm. language. They are cousin languages. I mean, they, they, are, they have a lot of shared uh, uh, words and loan words later on. So there's, there, there is the potential that there could be some level of understanding between attack, raiders attacking into England and the locals who actually live there, to some extent. Or certainly, over time, people would be able to reasonably well speak both languages or speak several languages so so some of that will have helped for for uh negotiations that often happened did it mark did it take them long to start uh you know they originally came as raiders but Mm. then like i don't want to get off topic but like did it take them long to go actually no these places are class and they're really fertile land let's stay here oh within 50 years yeah. They, they, what what started happening basically is they would arrive into an area. Let's just let's let's just take the east coast of Ireland as an example, because it's it's filthy with Viking towns, really. So they would arrive into the east coast of Ireland and they would have a, a wildly successful raid on some monastery in, in you know <laughs> in Wicklow or wherever. And rather than 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 uh, rowing home back to back to um, Denmark or Sweden or Norway, they would overwinter, and they would create what we call a long fort so they would they would create these small military encampments where they could dock their ships for the winter and they would just winter in that area from which when the summer then began they would then launch raids from from those areas so you started seeing in in the in the the 830s and 840s um some of these long forts start becoming permanent dublin the the city we're now in in 841 essentially um is a long fort that has just become a town 
Mm. It's become a trade trading post for other Northmen. It becomes a very significant slave port, actually, over the next century, and really becomes the principal Viking town in this part of the world. Um, so it, 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 within three, four, five decades, the Vikings are suddenly maybe not going home. So the Vikings are now taking advantage of the political situations that exist in uh, Britain and Ireland. Now, it's important, and I know I've, I've probably said this a million episodes before, you need to forget your ideas of what you think a country is, because they just don't exist. There's no such thing as Ireland, as a, as a political entity. It's not a unified country. There are, at any time in Ireland, between 100 and uh, like 60 small states all of which have their own chieftains and kings, all of which are fighting with each other, all of which are trying to gain political influence and domination of each other. England, while not quite that mental, is not much better. There are several uh, kingdoms within England which in later centuries will coalesce into what we would now think of as England. I mentioned earlier Northumbria. That was ruled over by uh, uh, one group of Saxon kings. Wessex, which is... A, which is uh, will become famous in later episodes when we talk about it. It's, it's a prominent part of the show. Um, they're probably the most powerful, but they're another kingdom. East Anglia is a kingdom. Mercia is a kingdom. Um, Kent is its own kingdom. So the, the, these are even all... Even Kent. Even Kent, yeah. Did they leave like Wales Kent? alone? No. <laughs> no, they did not. <laughs> Think about this. If you are a, a Viking warlord based in Dublin... Would you leave Wales alone? No, you wouldn't. You can really see Wales from Dublin. You and they eventually intact. settled the Isle of Man as well. They settled the Isle of Man, so, of course, because the Isle of Man is almost equidistant between Scotland, Wales, Ireland and England. Perfect place to attack from. Perfect um, location. Often, often location, the, location, location. Often the, uh, the, the, the ruler of Dublin would be some, would be, is sometimes referred to in uh, sources as the Hydrach, the Sea King. And he would often be the ruler of the Isle of Man as well as well as several of the islands off the coast of Scotland. And those guys, you know, did they leave Wales alone? They never left Wales alone. They were attacking the Isle of Anglesey every five minutes. They were raiding and burning and pillaging all the Welsh villages. The fishing villages were on fire every five minutes. I mean, there's the levels of attacks, Viking attacks that came from bases on the east coast of Ireland is really, really extraordinary. Like, they were sacking English towns every, every week. Meanwhile, they were also marrying We in. were harbouring terrorists, Mark. A ter- terrorists from Ireland? <laughs> Never. <laughs> Should they all playwrights now? Um, but the, the, the Vikings would start intermarrying with the locals in Ireland. And over time you had what was often referred to as Norse Gaels. So they were, were they Irish? Were they Viking? They're kind of both. You know, they're not purely Gaelic. They're not purely uh, Norse. But they're sort, of, they're sort of both of those things. They still went a Viking as, as their forebears will have from Denmark and Sweden and Norway. In England... There was a series of political disputes between the various Anglo-Saxon kings. Everyone wanted to be what's called the Bretvalda, which is the, the king of kings, the over-king. Mm. They often would ref- use Viking groups as mercenary forces to bulk up their own armies, which you see in the show where Eckbert, the, West, the king from Wessex, uses Ragnar's group. Now, that is true. Eckbert did do that. He did use Viking groups to attack and try and dethrone the, the, the king in Mercia all of which was an attempt by him to unite the English crowns under his crown. Mm -hmm. The reason why he was doing that is he had spent time in France under the great king Charlemagne. And Charlemagne was a a great king in that he was the first major European leader in the West who actually created a dominant kingdom since the collapse of the Roman Empire. 
Now the Vikings and the, the, the Danes and the and the Swedish and, and Norwegians knew of Charlemagne. He had come into contact with a, with a Danish king called Horvik, who's also in the show, although the timeline is completely wrong in the show. But he, he also came into contact with him. So the, 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 the Danes were very well aware that this kingdom of what they call Francia, which at the time was West France, doesn't matter, France. <laughs> they knew that existed. They knew it was wealthy. They knew that it was a great king called Charlemagne. Here's the problem. Charlemagne dies in 814, and his son, Louis the Pious, is pretty good, but he's not Charlemagne. He's not he's not the warrior king Charlemagne. He's not going around stamping out uh, stamping out heathens and to the north and Saxons to the north and threatening the Danes like Charlemagne did. I mean Charlemagne would literally send emissaries to the Danes and, and be like, I will fuck you up if you try anything. <laughs> and they're like, Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, this guy's gonna you know because he controls all of what we would now regard as modern France, most of Italy, Switzerland, most of Germany, most of Germany the Netherlands, Belgium. This guy has all of this. The problem is Louis the Pious has three sons. And when Louis the Pious dies, the Frankish tradition is not primogenitor inheritance. So the eldest son doesn't become the king because that's too simple. You know, that's not the French way. So what happens is they divide the kingdoms between them, the three brothers. Yeah, that always works. Yeah, right? So you've got a big problem now because these three brothers are spending all of their time fighting with each other and trying to get each other's subordinate lords to flip on them. Mm. Perfect for a Viking raid. So the Vikings know this is happening. They're, they're not it's not like they just they just appear out of nowhere and they and they know nothing they know what's happening in Frankie. there are sources there is news coming into England coming into Ireland about what's happening in in what was referred to then as the Empire the king of the of, of the western part who was based in Paris he would be referred to as the Emperor mm. you know as if as if, as if he's the Roman Emperor you know now if you're a Viking and you're sitting in a little mud hole in the east coast of in the east coast of Ireland, no offense to Ireland, but you know, let's be real here, and you hear stories about this fabulous wealth of Paris, the big walls and Roman buildings, and who the hell were the Romans? Oh, you know those aqueducts you see in England? Yeah, they're the people who built them. No, they, not a man couldn't build that. The giants built them. The giants built them. You know, so there'll be a lot of this kind of stuff. So while the raids were going on in Ireland and while the settlements were being built in Ireland and the raids were happening in England and the, the Vikings were getting involved in the political disputes, they also decided then, well, we better have a go at France. Let's have a go at France. The ships will work in French rivers just as well as they yeah. work in English yeah. rivers. So the fury of the Northmen falls on, falls right. on France. So Viking bands start appearing down uh, the major rivers attacking various large French settlements. In particular, uh, there is a, a, a raid, what starts as a raid on the city of Rouen, but the Vikings don't leave. They just take it over. It's, that's now a Viking town. Rouen is now a Viking town. From that base, they sail down the Seine and there are sieges in, on, of Paris. The sieges, it, it, you, you will often hear a phrase like the siege of Paris. Paris gets sieged more than once. In the show, it, the, the show being led by Ragnar, that is alleged to have been true that someone called Ragnar Lothbrok did attempt a siege of Paris. A more successful one later on is led by a man called Rollo the Walker. Now, mm. Rollo the Walker is also in the show. He's portrayed to be Ragnar's brother. In reality, they weren't brothers. They didn't live at the same time necessarily. There's, a, there's several decades distance. This is where Mish kind yeah, of... Yeah, this is where these characters kind of get conflated. Rollo was absolutely a real person. There's, there's no question at all he was a real person. He was, a, he was a, the son of a Jarl from Norway. A Jarl is, is a phrase you hear quite a lot in the show as well, which is 
it, it sort of a, it came into the English language as the phrase Earl. Earl yeah. So if you hear this the, is why the, watching the show, I was a little bit annoyed that I was like, why are they referring to people as Earls when we have our own way cooler yeah. word, Jarl? Yeah. Jarl. Um, yeah. Which, but then I realized, yeah, Jarl Borg. They start introducing a difference, and I'm like, you're very fuzzy on the societal structure here with Earls and Jarls. Yeah, they, they call <laughs> Jarl Borg, but they call him, uh, but they say Earl Ragnar. Yeah, which is very strange. Like, just stick to the same. You know, yeah, they both should have been Jarls, in my opinion. Both, yeah, I think Jarl, it's because yeah. Jarl Borg is supposed to be from southern Sweden. He is, yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas uh, Ragnar is Ragnar's not. Ragnar's da- Danish, so, yeah. I think yeah, but to be Danish. fair, in a lot of Vikings, and I like the series, you know, the the plot is just to fill the gaps between massive battles. That's true. You know, yeah, absolutely, so, yeah. Um, but so where are we at then? It's about... Uh, so Rollo's Siege of Paris is, is in the 860s, about 865. Yeah, so this is almost 100 years after yeah. Lindisfarne. Yeah, this is almost 100 years after allegedly Ragnar attacked Lindisfarne. Yeah. So the idea that they were brothers is not is not really tenable. Um, so Ra- Ragnar, uh, or sorry, Rollo attacks Paris um, and it, it, go, it goes rather badly for, <laughs> for, the, for the, the French. A large part of why it goes really badly is when the French king uh, call does like in the Game of Thrones, you know, call my banners. They don't really turn up <laughs> a lot of his banners because the political situation between the three constituent parts of the former Empire of Charlemagne is such that the nobles often kind of go, "Well, let's wait out and see what happens." Um, and also, the the Viking raids aren't. This is not a unified thing. You might collect a bunch of your pals and relatives. And you pool your money and you buy five longships and you and all your pals go raiding. But that doesn't mean that you know or have any knowledge of the guy who's in Norway who's also doing the same thing, who's also attacking. The Viking groups are not necessarily aligned with each other. And they don't often they often fight against each other, mm. but they, they 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 will align if there's a political purpose for this. Rollo, it seems, managed to gather five thousand men. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot. But in this period of history, armies are typically several hundred men, which is when you watch the show and you look at the armies, you don't think they're too impressive. But that's about right. Armies would be 200, 300, 400, 500. Rollo turns with 5,000 men to siege Paris. It's insane. They don't know what's going on. This is like the devil has arrived. And they find it very, very difficult to repulse him. While he can't get through the walls, or he has a hard time getting through the walls, they can't get him out of Rouen. They can't get them out of, of, of north of the area. The low-lying areas around. So there. eventually they, they come up with a, uh, a novel idea. The king Sorry. says, oh, it's even worse than that. The king says, uh, right, what we'll do is you stay in Rouen and I'll make you count of Rouen. Ah, yes. And what you'll do is you'll then protect the northern coast of my kingdom against other Viking raiders. This is around 9-11. Yeah. So this, this is, is when Normandy... Yeah. yeah. So so Rollo just has not left uh, and he just won't leave and he keeps raiding all around all around France. He's also raiding the south coast of England while he's doing this. Squatters right. Cuz why would you not? They can't get him out. He just it's 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 too difficult. And he's making big money here because they're 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 sacking all the monasteries in France of which there are hundreds. There's lots of wealth in France. So when they give this offer to stick around, uh, go go legit, does he stop raiding the rest of France? He stops, uh, no. He stops raiding the part of France that he's allegedly loyal to. Right. He doesn't stop raiding anyone else yeah, because yeah, he yeah. doesn't have to do that. He does what he likes. It, there are there are some uh, provisos. He does have to convert to Christianity. Now, how seriously does he take his, con- his, his, his conversion to Christianity? Difficult to say. 
And does he marry the king's daughter, or is that all bullshit? I, that's apocryphal. Sure. There is no evidence to suggest Giselle is a real woman. Because there's a few scenes in Don't that you? film where they have him trying to learn French, and they put in, in a bit of yeah, Li- Rollo, likely, in the likely that he that he that he will have done that eventually. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he, he was a savvy enough guy. This guy Rollo is a fascinating figure. The, Rollo the Walker, they call him. And the reason he's called the Walker is because he was allegedly so large, couldn't fit in a horse. So this guy was absolutely enormous. <laughs> They also referred to him as a wild bear, and he would he'd be seen fighting five men himself. So he's supposed to have been as as close to a giant as a person would be back then. You know how true is any of that? Hard to say. But about Normandy, I find it so uh, fascinating how I guess dumb I am because it took me so long to re- realize that the Normans are the like Northmen. Nor Nor N O R R is Swedish for North, so yeah. it's literally just Northmen. But I didn't put it together until frighteningly recently that they are essentially vikings because yes. people talk about the norman invasion of england and it's so interesting how the pr is so different because they're essentially vikings as well uh and yet like they the normans would be more connected to sort of feudal medieval mm-hmm. systems yep. knights mm-hmm. that's what everyone thinks of with them Definitely, very yep. sophisticated uh chivalry christian christian and yet, it's essentially like very similar behaviors to the Vikings, and basically the same. Identical, thing. and there yeah. are there are things about the Normans that uh, aren't well known. Everyone focuses on England, and 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 in Ireland, we'd focus on Ireland too. But one just here they attacked the Normans, conquered Sicily. You know, they mm. were also the leaders of the First Crusade. They conquered Antioch, Jerusalem. That's where the Vikings ended up. You know, and these are these are Rollo's descendants. This great bear of a viking is coming in sacking all these towns in, in so it's a great in to say sort of like a hybrid culture develops yeah. wherever yeah. they go they marry in but uh they also leave their own kind of mark as well you know yeah i mean so the thing is rollo takes a takes a wife uh from the town from the from rouen and he settles there now he's only at this point he's the count of rouen he's not the duke of normandy yet he will become loser <laughs> but as the civil wars in in the west in west francia and middle francia and east francia what used to be charlemagne's kingdoms as they kick off the king in the west actually finds that rollo's probably his most reliant ally yeah. you know, he keeps turning up yeah he keeps showing up for battle and and if rollo turns up for battle you fucking better get your shit right because he will fuck you up this guy's a big <laughs> dude and he knows how to fight and he knows how to do it quickly and he knows how to get out um so he, he proves uh, uh, um funnily enough to be one of the best allies the french king can have um while he's hidden behind his walls in paris um he also does fight off viking raids Mm. uh the other vikings do attempt to attack the north coast and over time rollo's power grows so he goes from being the count of Rouen to the duke of normandy so this they actually create a dukedom a duchy for rollo which is which becomes normandy and then his ancestors become important. I might, maybe won't talk about the Normans just yet because I've, I've other parts of the, the world to get to. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if we're in the, the lightning round version yes, of exactly. the Viking Age, exactly. <laughs> what, what happens next? In the 10th century, so let's, let's, uh, let's go on further from where we are with Rollo. The Viking raids become more and more brave. They become more and more brazen and the spirit of adventure that sort of fills the fills the, these men uh, is really really evident in, in where you start seeing them pop up it is uh, alleged that the famous swedish viking bjorn ironside he gathers together a fairly large host and um having come across scraps of maps from england of the former roman empire the vikings are, are suddenly aware 
the world is very big. The world's actually quite large, and there's meant to be this massive sea in the south. And they mm. have heard stories of Rome. They know that this city exists and that this great empire once existed. So, down into the south go the, go, go the Vikings. Now, it seems that Bjorn's expedition came down the, the western coast of, of Europe, which is a strange route to take, raiding all along the coast of France, all on the northern coast of Spain, all along the coast of modern-day Portugal. Portugal, all the way around. They attack uh, Gibraltar, and they, they do really quite a lot of damage to Gibraltar. They attack the, the, the southern cities of Spain, which at this point are part of the Umayyad Caliphate. These are, these are Muslim cities. Mm. And these Vikings start turning up in places like Seville, places like Malaga, and they're attacking these towns. And these guys don't know who these people are. Are they Christians? What's happening? Who are they? No, they're not Christians. They're burning churches. They're burning mosques. They're taking everything. <laughs> they keep going. They come up the coast of, uh, of Spain and back down onto the south coast of France. At this point, um, it's said that uh, Bjorn Ironside decides, let's have a go at Rome. He thinks he, thinks he can attack Rome. And they, they, uh, this is, of course, little Bjorn from the, or Bjorn from the TV show. Yeah, little, little, just a little, little boy. Child, little boy in the first season, season. yeah. 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 Uh, perhaps the most badass of all Vikings, actually. Um, or certainly, certainly top five in my opinion. Um, so he can he continues the, the attack, and he's not on his own, of course. He's got a large force. They attack into northern Italy, and they come to the city of Pisa, and they actually capture the city of Pisa. And it's alleged in the sources that Bjorn thinks that this is Rome originally, and he's like, "That wasn't so hard. We took Rome." You know, this There's is the Colosseum. Until it's gently explained to him, no, 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 no. This isn't <laughs> this isn't Rome, Paul. Rome's down here, and it's fucking massive, and you're not going to take it with these with these you know thousand men or whatever. But happy with their uh, happy with their lot, they decide. Okay, let's let's go back north. On the way back, there is a shipwreck, and they actually lose half their men. You yeah. know, the Mediterranean is famously fickle, and the heat. Go. Uh, they might have found it difficult. Let's yes, be honest. Yeah, like thirty-five degree. There, heat. there is funny uh, sources that reference Northmen arriving into the south and just being buckling under the heat, like they just can't handle it. Will you imagine uh, this guy is from is from Sweden and he's used to you know northern european weather it's windy and it's fucking cold now the summers are pretty nice but they're not hot like it's hot in the mediterranean in the in the summer you know so you can imagine the difficulty the viking warriors are having walking around italy in in 40 degrees or whatever it is so yeah so so bjorn bjorn ironside has this massive raid into the mediterranean it goes on for several years makes himself extraordinarily wealthy and really importantly in viking culture he makes himself very very famous Mm. It's a very, very important thing. As is true of Rollo. Rollo's name becomes known all across Europe. Mm. He, he's very, very famous for what he's done. This taking land and being actually given a massive chunk of land by the emperor, the quote-unquote emperor of France. It's a big deal. Really these are very encourages bad behaviour. It does. That's all I'm saying. It does. It really encourages other Vikings to go and see, can they take advantage of the, of the petty political disputes that exist in these lands they're attacking? Yeah, because it's kind of like, you know, when we've talked about Rome, uh, you always have the eyes of your ancestors on you to do something big enough to have your face up on the wall alongside them with all the masks of your Mm. your ancestors. I wouldn't say it's exactly the same. And granted, like when it comes to Viking mythology and religion, we our uh, understandings a little bit shady. But from what we can tell, it seems like, yeah, yeah. like people's opinion and becoming famous is almost as important yeah. as any 
anything else right so if mm. you've gone off and done this one great deed like there could be sagas of you and the gods are not separate in the way they would be no. in christianity Things they're very much happen. living gods yeah. it's not like yeah. you know it didn't happen you know jesus didn't die long ago i know jesus in uh christianity i suppose is kind of walking with us metaphorically but for them the gods are literally walking among them yeah. and you have a chance to physically become you know uh become famous enough to become almost one of the gods you yes know? yeah i, I mean, mean the show they show that a lot there's a lot of these kind of dream sequences uh, yeah and when, when, and when, when i talk about ragnar i'll, I'll probably get in, into that a little um but bjorn is is an ex- extraordinarily famous viking at this point as well the, the audacity to do what he did like i'm just going to take a bunch of a bunch of ships down around the western coast of europe i'm going to attack italy and spain and i'm gonna attack the caliphate like you know it's madness like with a few ships it's crazy to do something like that but he does it and off he goes back meanwhile in the east there are uh there's maybe more to jacob's liking the swedish vikings are not exactly sitting on their uh, resting on their laurels either they they're uh, no less profound in their in their raids and attacks um rather than attack west as their danish and norwegian uh brethren uh, the, the Swedes typically would have, would, have, would have attacked east, sailing down rivers into into Poland and modern day Ukraine. Yeah, again, the Volga kind of down the Volga. Down the Volga yeah, they they make it into the Black Sea. We have found Viking artifacts in Baghdad. We've found coins, you know, from the Caliphate in in towns in Sweden. I might have to like I, I I'm not sure on the source of this, but I've read that basically there's more coins from the Middle East found in the Scandinavian countries yeah. than there because yeah. there was such yeah. so much well trade and raiding etc. There have been coins from Baghdad found in Dublin. Yeah, from the from the Caliphate. <laughs> mad the trade network is insane and this is sort of this is later though this be kind of what are we talking well the, the this, ninth, tenth well, century the, the Swe- right? swedish vikings um will, will have arrived in the ninth century into 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 the the broadly speaking slavic part of europe let's say uh what you what we would sort of broadly call eastern europe um and that would have been in the 800s and the 900s. And this is Kiev and uh, yeah. Nov- Novgorod? Novgorod, yeah. yeah. So the, in a similar way that the, the Danes and the Norse took advantage of the political situations in Ireland, France and Britain, the, Swede, the Swedish Vikings did the same thing in, the, uh, in the, the Slavic regions where there was no real unity. There was groups of Slavic princes, let's call them, who again would use the local Vikings who were raiding monasteries, raiding towns, raiding villages. Um, he would use them as mercenary forces or who would draft them into their armies or would pay tribute to them or would, you know, and so on and so forth. Over time, what ended up happening is one particular Swedish Viking leader, a man called Rurik, he became so powerful that he essentially became sort of the king of the area. Yeah, I was going to ask because the Varangians or what mm. have you, they essentially ended up ruling uh, Kievan Rus. Yeah, they? absolutely. So the locals refer to these people as the Rus, the rowers, mm. because they'd arrive on their boats, obviously rowing. Um, and it's from that word that the term Russia comes. Yeah. So they founded modern-day Kiev, uh, Novgorod, these large towns, large, what were sort Dutchies, of like like eventually. Dublin, like, you, you know, the, the cities I was talking about earlier. And they, they grow them into, into duchies, as you say. And over time, um, Rurik's descendants are the original czars of Russia. Right. I, there was one thing I read that I think it was Rurik's son of Vladimir. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he was a bit unsure what to do because he was, 
in this area he all of a sudden had access to you know he was mixing with slavic populations but he had access to arabia by byzantium through this river system and all that but so he was he was getting a lot of influence of different cultures and so apparently he did like take a look at the religions on offer you know <laughs> and he was like he'd say he took a look at judaism he took <laughs> a look at islam and he took a look at christianity and in the end he decided on christianity and it was his decision to do so which kind of you could argue eventually led to these areas becoming you know cr- largely christian oh there's just there's, there's no doubt about it like it's 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 the opening it to the the Eastern Roman Empire, which is still very much alive at this point. Um, once you have mass conversions, once the leader converts, typically the other nobles will, and that that will lead to the, the average everyday person converting. That opens you up to the political dimensions that exist within the Byzantine Empire. So the Eastern Roman Empire is basically anything from Greece to as far as sort of as far as the Caliphate. So it's all of Turkey, all of Greece. The Vikings, the Swedish Vikings, who are often referred to as the Rus or the Varangians, they they become aware of, well, they know of the Roman Empire, the, the Byzantine Empire. They become aware of the city of Istanbul, uh, what we now call Istanbul. At that time, was called was called Constantinople. Yeah, the Rus referred to it as Miklagard. Yes, Miklagard. Is that like Michael's town? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because Gord, well, Gord, um, which is something I wanted to touch on. Yeah, before, Michael. Um, Gord, you'll notice like Midgard, Asgard, mm. all of that. The G O R D is means farm, actually, or plot of okay. land. Mm. So this is uh, a really central concept. Uh, when I was talking in the previous episode about uh, how the long, the one communal building split into several different ones, these would still be part of the same. Yard or farm is the best translation of gourd. Wow, and okay. There's a there's a important distinction between, like, I think I might get a bit off history and more into myth and storytelling and these kinds of things, but I think most stories are about a travel from the known into the unknown. Mm-hmm. And in Norse mythology, the big dividing line is between us and the wild, the outside. And the gourd is the whole concept of what is inside yeah. the realm of civilization okay. versus what is outside, uh, so what is chaotic. And that's why Loki would be referred to as Utgorda Loki. He's out the of outsider, the farm Loki yeah. because okay. he is a, an embodiment of the chaotic Chaos. nature of the wild and everything mm. like that. This is a bit of a tangent, but Gord means farm or yard, basically. Even so. to this day, is that the like, say, Swedish word for the, farm or the root? Yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah. exactly the same word. Gord yeah. means like your it also means kind of your yard your plot of land or your farm and it would be traditionally like you know your fenced in area or the fenced in area of your family or village or whatever and then outside of that is the forest um and that is still like such a central divide Mm. from like between the wild and the the civilized etc but anyway bit of a tangent it means farm (laughs) that's why it's useful to have a swede on your podcast yes yeah (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. among among many other yes of course but you have to like all the things like asgard and everything sounds cool it means like the as farm (laughs) yeah Yeah, a little less cool maybe than you think yeah but but at at this point so you've got a lot you've got swarms of uh swedish vikings roos arriving into eastern europe and trade networks uh begin to develop as they as they as they did in the west and as more uh, vikings adventurers make their way into the black sea and make their way south and east and they are inevitably drawn 
to the city of Constantinople, which at this point in history, now look, people will argue, but it's, it's arguably the greatest city in the world. Mm. Now, I'm not having a go at Northern Europeans because I am a Northern European, but when you consider the types of buildings that will have existed in Sweden at this period of history as compared with Constantinople. Even what the walls are Constantinople. In the walls, yeah. the famous, the famous wall, yeah. When Swedish Vikings arrived down, some of it would have just been out of curiosity. It can't be as big as they say it is. That's ridiculous. Men can't build that. Sometimes they arrive down to places like Constantinople and they just, they can't get over it. Like it collapse. It breaks their <laughs> mind. It breaks their brains. Like they can't understand how humans have possibly built these structures. They never get over it. And a lot of the people who arrive there, they never leave. They, they offer their wares as mercenaries to the emperor. And this becomes so common that you would have Varangian units within the Byzantine em- That was emperor, the personal guard. That they became it? the personal guard of the emperor. Mm. You think about how mad that is. So we, when we talk about the Roman Empire, and we talk about the, the emperors themselves, they, they had the Praetorian guards. Yeah. In later centuries, the Western Empire, the Praetorian guard were made up of Germanic warriors because they didn't have, they didn't grow up in the political... Uh, atmosphere that they that didn't have their own uh they didn't have a dog in the they game they didn't have a dog you know? in the game they were loyal to you because you yeah. were the guy paying them the same thing applied to the Varangians. so the, the eastern empire emperors went these warriors are pretty fearsome and they're big guys and they're not afraid of battle and in fact they enjoy fighting because they think this is how they're going to get, in, get into valhalla to and they'll run into battle at the drop of a hat and they'll do anything i say it's your body similar gets. to uh, the the Pope and the Swiss Guard in a way. Yeah, know? it's it's, it's the, the same. Neutral party, it's the same. Know? It's the same concept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So suddenly you have waves of Swedish warriors serving as the personal guard for the Ro- Roman Emperor in the East. It's mad, but that that's what that's what ends up happening. God, these days all we export is ABBA and Spotify <laughs> <laughs> and IKEA yes. and Volvo. Thank Come you, on, thank you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so you and have me <laughs> and, and you, yeah. A fine import into Ireland. Um, and, and so, yeah, so so basically you've got a situation where there are states beginning to spring up in, in what's Eastern Europe, what we would now regard as Ukraine, Belarus, Russia. Um, you have large amounts of Viking involvement in Byzantine armies in in, uh, in uh, the south of Europe. They even are involved in attempts to recapture Sicily. There are famous Viking Varangians who then leave service after 20 years and return back to their homelands, famous beyond, you know, famous and rich beyond their, what the local could imagine. Um, one of my one of my favorite Vikings is a guy who does that. Who I probably talk about in, in another episode, but he <laughs> he, he um, he, you know, th- th- it would be seen as a life of adventure. Yeah, in a, in a lot of ways, and this is a great place to be. Have you ever seen Miklagard or M- Miklagord? How do you say? Yeah, that's right, Miklagord. Yeah. Have you Have you ever seen it? It's often referred to that city. It's just referred to in various languages. It's just the city. That's actually what Istanbul means, mm. the city, you know, and, and it's like, so th- their involvement in that is, is, is life changing. Um, so the, the Viking influence on the world, uh, I think the, I think the stereotype of it being, you know, raping and burning and pillaging, it's not really that, that there is an element of that, of course, especially early on in, in, in the eighth century and the ninth century, there's an element of that, but take Ireland as an example. Every significant city on the East coast of Ireland is a Viking town, Dublin, Wexford, Waterford, uh, Cork, even Limerick on the on the on the other coast, that's a Viking town. Those are the things that bring urban the concept of urban trading mm. to Ireland. It didn't really exist here in the same way. Like there was trade, but not in an organised sense. The Vikings became an integral part of the political structure of Ireland. It's not a case that 
as Brian Baru's descendants claimed that the foreigners came in and I pushed them all out. Horseshit. There was Vikings in Brian Baru's army. Mercenaries on There's mercenaries side. on his side. There were mercenaries against him. The whole reason why he was even in that battle was because the Norse Kingdom of Dublin refused to submit to him. So he calls himself the High King, but he hasn't got the biggest city in the country. So is he really the High King? You know, it's you know. So there's a, there's a bit of that kind of going so on. So we're not actually too far, Mark. We're not going to go into a lot into it, but we're not too far from one of the largest battles between there, the Vikings. There, there are the, there are a couple of very large battles that I, that I might talk about in, in in the next episode, maybe. But I think I, I think um, other than uh, the explorations west of Ireland and Britain to, to Iceland and Greenland. I think that's I've probably got your greatest hits done now. It might have taken more than 20 minutes, but I don't know. Well, that's fine, but if I can draw real quick from uh, the, the war of the Irish with the foreigners, like the writing style of this text is so interesting now i don't know you've probably read it you fucking two nerds but weirdos <laughs> <laughs> but the extracts man. there's so many run-on sentences like i'll just read a real quick one that describes the people of ireland uh that on the other side of that battle were brave valiant champions soldierly active nimble bold full of courage quick doing great deeds pompous beautiful aggressive hot strong swell swelling yeah swelling bright fresh never weary and this just goes on and then when describing the vikings they're saying on one side of the battle were the shouting hateful powerful wrestling valiant active fierce moving dangerous nimble violent furious unscrupulous it's a very descriptive language so like long list of descriptive words to sort of paint both sides yeah. as very fearsome to bolster the political standing of yeah. Brian Brewer's uh, descendants. Yeah, and that that that's that um, piece of work is commissioned by the the descendants of Baru exactly to, to sort of embolden the O'Brien clan, the, the descendants of Baru, to sort of uh, to sort of uh, justify their position because it's not. I mean, they were a petty minor lords who sort of overthrew their overlords they didn't really have any great particular right to be you know powerful kings so this was trying them trying to trying to uh, justify their actions essentially because they carried out some slaughters on on norse towns and villages which were not really justifiable yeah and so if we're doing if if this is our big summary of the viking age we're trying to zoom out as much Mm. as possible should we mention the great heathen army the dane law yeah. or should that be in future episodes? well i'll get into it in more detail maybe in, the, in about ragnar but I, I i will mention like the, the, there's a there's an uh, an episode that happens in england um uh, which is referred to as the great heathen army and that's uh, first it of all sounds cool yeah. sounds cool yeah. and literarily is in, in literary circles or sort of romantically is referred to as the revenge of the sons of ragnar yeah right oh. which sounds even cooler right so <laughs> this is basically what happens is a large uh, uh army uh, under under the leadership of very famous vikings a group of very famous vikings um such as uh Ube, ivor the boneless vitzerk several other guys several other fa- fairly famous vikings they they combine forces and they attack England but they do it in a way that the Vikings hadn't previously done they're not here to raid they're not going home this time yeah. they're, they're here to conquer they arrive into Northumbria and they knock over the king who has allegedly killed Ragnar this man called Ayla and they they, they kill him using a method known as Blood Eagle so the, which I'll maybe explain in the, in the, in the next one when we get Ooh, talk about Ragnar yeah. Yeah. it's particularly yeah. brutal which is also in the show yeah, yeah that's two. rough. Now, yeah. the Great Heathen Army doesn't discriminate with Anglo-Saxons. They just attack everyone. 
They don't give a shit. And they go through knocking over all the towns in Northumbria. In particular, they take the town of York, which was which is an ancient Roman city, once known as Eboricum. So this is 866. Yeah, this yeah. is the 860s. Yeah, mid 866. Yeah. So they knock over Eboricum or York, and it becomes known as Jorvik. And this becomes the center of Viking culture, in, in or Norse culture, in, in the north of England. You would argue, maybe still is the center of uh, Norse culture in, in England. In fact, when genetic studies are done now, the people in the north of England will typically have more markers that are commonly found in the Scandinavian countries than the people in the south of England, believe it or not. Yeah, and like linguistically as well. Linguistically, like the, yeah. the north of England is a lot closer tied to uh, Old Norse and yep. like similar phrases moving over. Town names even. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Stuff, yeah. Um, on the east coast of England, there's a, there's a, uh, there, was a con- there was a kingdom at the time called East Anglia. The Great Heathen Army after it has crushed uh, Northumbria, they decide, yeah, we'll have a go at East Anglia now. He's got great horses. So... <laughs> Down they go into East Anglia, they smash it. They go into Mercia, which is a sort of in, in sort of in the middle of England, and it has a kind of a border with uh, around where modern day Wales' border is. They knock that over, and the only kingdom they don't knock over is Wessex. Yeah, and now in in sort of English myth, this lives sort of long in the memory because they regard Wessex as the kingdom that saved Englishness. Mm. It's the only kingdom to not fall to the Vikings. Yeah. And they're led by the great king, Alfred the Great. Now, Alfred the Great is also in the show. In the third series, you see him being born. He's a baby. And uh, he he is this sort of... He's a culture hero for the English. He's, there's all of these myths about him. He's supposed to have been prophesied his birth. He was supposed to have suffered great physical illness uh, as a result of his alleged commune with the Lord and all of it. It was all of this mad stuff. Now, he was a great enemy of, of, of the Vikings. At, at a point, um, the Viking army, the Great Heathen army, which remember had multiple leaders, some infighting started. Some of them wanted to stay in East Anglia. Some of them were like, well, let's just put a puppet king in. Some of them wanted to go back to Jorvik. Some of them wanted to go home. One of their leaders is a man called Ivor the Boneless. And Ivor the Boneless at this time, it's said, was the king of Dublin. He didn't really want to stay in England. He had enough to be getting on with back in Ireland. So he's kind of like, well, maybe we'll just leave. Ah, maybe we should stay. There's a lot of sort of infighting. Alfred tries to take advantage of this. He, there's, there's approaches for peace treaties. There's approaches for... Um, attempts to, to sort of calm them down, but also to sow discord within the camp, within the within the leadership. Eventually a Viking chieftain by the name Guthrum comes to the comes to the leadership of the of the Great Heathen army. And he has a dispute with some of the other leaders, some of whom like Ivor the Bonus allegedly leave. And a lot of it comes to head with Alfred. Guthrum hates Alfred because he can see what he's trying to do. So it comes to battle. And um over time uh Alfred had been quite canny in how he was preparing Wessex for the war. He had instituted a thing which was called the Fjords, which is a way of raising troops quickly from the countryside to defend against Vikings when they arrived or when they went to attack. He had all local people, as, as so far as was possible, trained on how to use spears and swords and shields because he knew the Vikings were, com- were going to come at any time. He had grown up in the era of the Viking attacks. All he knew was war with the Vikings. It wasn't like his grandfather, yeah. Eckbert, who was trying to become the Brettvalde. There was no chance of that happening for Alfred. He just, we have to survive. Mm. There were times where he, the Viking attacks were so severe that he had to flee into the countryside and was like, it was him, him and ten guys, sort of thing, you know, and he would manage to fight his way back through skirmishes, through uh, payments, through bribery. Sounds like 
de Bruce. Very similar yeah. to How much of this is like historical facts? Because it sounds very uh, sort of patriotic as well. Yeah, look, I mean, there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of sort of, uh, there's a lot of sort of bullshit talked about it, <laughs> like frankly, about, about how great Alfred the Great actually was. A lot of it was actually, a lot of his success arguably was down to the, the discord that actually existed within the Great Heathen Army itself. The fact that they could, the leaders couldn't agree yeah. what the plan was. Like, what are we here to actually do? Mm. Um, eventually, there's a great battle between the Great Heathen Army and the Anglo-Saxons under under uh, Alfred of Wessex uh, at a place called Eddington. Uh, it's portrayed by the English as a great Saxon victory. It's more of a draw, yeah. to be honest, but it is the thing that sort of stops further expansion by the Danes. Now, the, the, the Saxons of Wessex would always refer to the Vikings as Danes, right? Now, a lot of them were Norse, but they didn't discriminate. They're all yeah, yeah. They're all filthy Danes, right? As far as they were concerned. The um, worst insults you can give to someone. Yeah. Calling them certainly Danish. a Swede, anyway. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> um, so this battle happens, uh, the Battle of Eddington, um, after which there is sort of a tentative peace. And what the peace agrees is that the Norse can stay, the Danes can stay and own the land that they've conquered. Yeah. And this becomes known as the Dane Law. Mm. And it's And this is where we see most like of England. S- serious integration between the two. Like we've Huge obviously method. talked about it previously, but yeah. this is where the cultures very definitely like become one, you know, yeah, over absolutely. A, a, a long period of well, time. So the, the period of the Great Heathen Army is like eight sixty five to about eight seventy eight. So I mean, they're they're knocking around for a long time, and it's yeah. it's only at the ba- at the battle of Eddington in in, in eight seventy eight that they they stopped their expansion. But they have been in England for twelve years. They've been ruling in 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 various sort of patchwork of the okay. This warlord's in charge of this town. This warlord's in charge, and there's what they call the five boroughs, and they all had different sort of Viking chieftains kind of controlling them. They intermarried. The soldiers will have will have married, uh, you know, local Anglo-Saxon women. Uh, the chieftains often took. Uh, the daughters of local Saxon nobility as as their as their uh, as their wives, they massively massively integrated because part of the reason why the Vikings are there in the first place is they just want land and they want some good farming stuff and they're they're not necessarily there as the great demons that they <laughs> you know that the the Christian chroniclers refer to them as. Also, what happens is a large number of the Norse begin to convert to Christianity yeah. from the cultural weight of it that exists. There's a level of mysteriousness about the Christ God. Yeah. as well that exists you know they're like who is this the, the white and christ the eternal life thing you know yeah it's a good selling point it's mysterious yeah. to 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 northmen you know it's very different to their religion like we were talking about earlier like odin and loki and thor are very much living gods they're, they're, they believe them to be around all the time you can you could bump into odin like that that sort of thing could happen that's not going to happen with, with christ but Christ is a man who died and then came back from the dead and then ascended to heaven while alive. You know, they all, so it's, it's very different and they find it, they found it sort of mysterious. Yeah, and of course the reason Christianity uh, moved over and became popular in the Scandinavian countries is that it comes with a set of fucking organizational tools to get money from people yes. and have, like, organize society. And once you're already in a society that uses that, there's... Uh, you know, there's loads of reasons to buy into that system if you're near the top of it, yeah. right? Absolutely. The church reinforces the hierarchy. I mean, the, the, it goes. in a lot of ways, the church structures at this point in history in this part of the world are the sort of the true remnants of the Roman Empire. The level of organization and, and like you like you were saying, also the religious class. Uh, the, the Northmen would have been struck by the fact that the religious class speak a different language to the everyday person because mm-hmm. they're speaking in speaking in Latin. 
which is not a language that the Anglo-Saxon, your average day Anglo-Saxon can understand. So you can imagine going to, and you, Michael, you might remember this from even being a kid, being a being going to mass. When the mass is done in Latin, it does have a sort of a different quality to a, a it. A mystique. Like, a sort of a mystique Jeez, That was a great you know? mass. Jeez, that was a, what, did he, what did he say there at all? You know? <laughs> oh, sure. But, but a more poetry. <laughs> so the Dane law is kind of instituted. How long does that go on for? The Dane law lasts, uh, I mean, what, 878 doesn't really sort of get knocked over until the 11th century. Yeah. I mean, it started a long time. Till, uh, till, till really, you would say, Edward the Confessor comes to the throne of Wessex, like, it's there a long time. Yeah, and I, I, I'll skip past this because we, we're going to have to wrap up soon. Um, but essentially, this means that uh, once the Dane law collapses, it's not like, and then the Vikings leave, like they're... No, they're not... The Vikings are the people of the land. Or, yes. You know, Viking, this is why the term gets a bit confusing. Yeah. But the people who came over, their children's children are the farmers yeah, you absolutely. know tilling the land yeah. um so but i think you know the there were additional conflicts with the rulers from there going back to norway or whatever yeah. etc i don't know that we need to touch on it exactly but additional skirmishes and, and warfare lots going on lots there. more skirmishes i mean just because that great heathen army has settled that doesn't mean all the vikings are yeah so i mean they are there and in turn attacked by other vikings you know at a later stage so the political turmoil continues uh, it just maybe takes a slightly different shape now. The way it's portrayed often in English history is like this is England is hanging on and it might not even come because England doesn't exist. It's just Wessex at this point. So there's the whole kind of thing that it might never happen. There might never be a king of England. There might never be an England because most of England is under Danish rule. So, I mean, it, it, the, the level of influence of the of the, the Northmen on, on England and on Ireland where almost every important king in Ireland has married into you know has some relation to uh, to a viking woman and mo- all viking uh, or, or norse kings in ireland are typically they're born in ireland they they might speak norse gaelic they might speak they might just speak gaelic irish but they 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 are part of the culture they become completely subsumed into the culture and they just become another polity another and power and that their great success really wherever they went they just get completely absorbed into the culture. Well, well if, well, if, yeah. if you think Take about it, over, really. we have yeah. four instances yeah. of it now. So we have the, the, the sort of the city-states in Ireland, um, one of which becomes the capital of the country mm. <laughs> in Dublin. You have the Dane law in England. You have Normandy in France. And you have the principalities of Novgorod and Kiev in, in Ukraine and, yeah. and, and Russia, along with loads of Viking mercenaries in the Byzantine Empire. So their influence is long-lived. This is what I find so interesting, because when we talk about Vikings, we think, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean kind of yeah. with horns on their heads. Yeah. Um, but, like, the the actual influence isn't just the bloodthirsty, like, savage. Like, Definitely that not. is part of it, but it's also, like, a really important integrated part mm-hmm. into all of those cultures yeah, after the fact. I think of it this way. Most of them, like... Yeah, it might be cool to go a Viking in your 20s when you're full of energy, but by the time you're in your mid-30s, you probably just want to settle down with a nice farm. Look, look, at, look, at, things, look at things like in, in, in England and in, in, look, just even look in Dublin, look at the names of places. They're, they're, they, they have, they're of Norwegian and Danish origin. There's regions of the city are named after certain, like there's, there's Siegfried Street, there's Ragnar Street, there's in, Asgard Road, there's, Wicklow, in fact there's two Asgard Isn't Wicklow itself the, like you told me before Mark, the, the field of the Vikings yeah. or something like that? Yeah, the, well Wick is Vic, 
There's no which is the same as I'm from, as where, Vik where you're from in yeah. Sweden. Vik meaning bay. Vik is the short for well, Vik is the root of Viking. Yeah. So yeah. exactly. So that's Vik. Vik love. Yeah. So and and I mean Waterford and Waxford. There's no X or W in the Irish language. Yeah, so, so they've come from somewhere, right? I mean, those V's... So it's, Both it's like, very runic-type letters, you'll know. Yeah, um, <laughs> sort of angled lines, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about that. There's one last thing to, to chat about, which is obviously this influence on other cultures nearby has been significant, but the Viking the Vikings traveled further than that. Um, like, I don't know, I can hand over to you maybe, Michael, to go into, like, how they uh, fared in other parts of the world. Yeah, what what interested me about this is how this spread out. So it kind of comes back to what I was saying in the last episode that they were risk takers, they were curious, and because they had, you know, the, the right ship, the right technology for navigation, they were able to go that little bit further with confidence and make take that extra step. And we see this repeated and repeated. So they, for example, a lot of the Norwegian Vikings, they would have. Um, taken the Faroe Islands and then they would have used that as a staging ground then to just go out into the North Atlantic and uh, you know eventually uh, in 870 they arrived in Iceland and what was called Iceland and or what they called Iceland and which was as you were saying Jacob it was uninhabited completely and that was a guy called a Norwegian called Garder Svarverson okay yeah i yeah maybe, maybe. We'll just that, keep yeah. saying yeah can you show me the text <laughs> there you go yeah uh yeah i, terrible handwriting. Yeah, I can't terrible read that. it that anyway yeah <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah i look it up uh yeah and um, so eventually of, they, of course in the show it's floki but this is it. but also there it. was a uh character called uh floki i'm trying to find it now in my notes but a legendary kind of uh, Hrafna Floki Vilgerson, uh, who is a historical, semi-historical figure who mm. made the voyage to Iceland as and well. They apparently named it. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, but they didn't give up there. Like a little bit later on, the famous Eric the Red in nine eight two, he went one f- uh, step former or f- further, and he actually found Greenland. So imagine just finding Greenland. First of all, like that is one thing I always remember. Like, and you keep standing around, you're like, say, it just keeps going. There's loads of this. It's <laughs> so big, yeah. And they actually founded a colony there that lasted hundreds of years. It, it, it lasted till the 15th century. Um, and then it died out eventually. Uh, um, and what I did find funny was, and I hadn't had no knowledge of this, the Danish rediscovered it in 1721. So for about 200, 300 years, everyone forgot that Greenland <laughs> existed, really, outside of these sagas that, mm. that you mentioned, you know? So that was around 982, Eric the Red took over there. And then his son went, okay, well, what am I going to do? I got to do better than my dad. So his son, Leif. Leif. Leif, oh, excuse me. Leif, uh, Leif, Leif Erikson. Yeah. Yeah. He, he went one bit further, and he actually uh, went to Newfoundland in Canada, and this was, you know, for many years, this was, there was mentions of this, this famous Vinland in the mm. sagas and people thought, ah, oh, yeah, but they're only making it up. It's just another, it's just them. Um, it's just, just the sagas. It's just, just another yeah. Atlantis. Just like that rock that didn't exist that they saw the light through <laughs> in the, in the storms. A hundred percent. But then in, in the <laughs> 1960s, they actually found this uh, trade post um, in Newfoundland in a place called Ants Omedo. And 
like they were able to see that it didn't last long you know mm. uh, but it did exist and the difference was when they arrived here part the, the difference between say iceland for example was this place was already inhabited there's a lot of people here yeah you know and it was inhabited by the local um the local tribes um and they referred to them the uh in the sagas i believe as the skin wearers or wretched people <laughs> okay and uh, these guys anyway they to the local tribes native to this area of canada basically just threw them out they didn't make it easy for them they mm. were like we don't want you guys here so mm. uh eventually they were driven out of that but they did establish you know uh, 400 years roughly S- before so there is evidence of like a, oh, yeah. an actual settlement this yeah. is i was yeah. gonna say like growing up obviously learning about the history of the nordic region etc like it was always kind of mentioned but kind of with a caveat of like we I'm not sure think, sort of, yeah. you know it says whatever interestingly like solar storms now weirdly are part of confirming the dates of this because from the settlement they've been able to analyze the wood that was used so they believe it's a viking settlement Mm. already but they weren't quite sure of when and there was a solar storm that affected the rings inside the woods Ah. uh, of this time and they were able to date it so we know vikings were in america in 1021 and this was confirmed in the year 2021 so exactly a thousand years later it's great and this is it and so you know they as we know like so they 400 years obviously when we're talking about european discovery of the americas here there was a lot of people of course it was already i think it is noteworthy because it would have been to my understanding the first circumnavigation of the earth because they would have arrived uh, the native americans through russia etc so this is the first time that humans have actually encircled the whole world not like one human but like humanity as a concept yeah interesting yeah that's that's a good point and they just changed a lot over the course of the few thousands years you know yeah Yeah. but yeah so that it so that that was sort of their the extent in the in the west of as far as they got which i i think we'd all say they did fairly well yeah well i mean considering the stereotype like we were saying earlier about them they just go in and attack and raid villages but we're pointing out that they had influences from baghdad to canada like it's pretty extraordinary. Yeah, think and it. even like I, maybe you read up on this, Jacob. But the, there's arguments that the pa- cur- cur- current parliament of Iceland is the oldest in the world. Um, yeah, I didn't read about it exactly, but I know that it's been you know it, it, the thing they talk about in the show a ting. Uh, yeah, I believe that's the word. I think they use that word in Iceland still. Like it, and ting just means thing, but it's like weird it's the to me. To me, both of them exist in parallel. Uh, but yeah, they've, it's been going ever since because they were, you know, practicing in one their, form or another. The, the, the garden in the ca- in Dublin Castle, that's the thing. Mm. That's what the thing was in Dublin. Interesting. That's why it's a cir- they have a circle in the garden. It's meant to be the circle of the thing. Why didn't we record it from there? From Dublin we Castle? We should have really. We, we never would have got permission. Say the, the wind. <laughs> if we oh, the wind. There. Yeah, yeah. yeah to be fair, it's Ireland. It's, it's windy here. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, this episode, obviously, we've, we've gone through kind of quickly everything about yeah. the Viking Age. Um, so we're we're going to, in the next one, dive into a bit more of the characters from the TV show. I know we've already touched on it a little bit, but there's yeah. still more to say. So please stay tuned. Um, but for now, rate rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, Go to give, give us a rating. Go yeah. on. Go to showswithjuno.com to follow all of our shows and follow us at real underscore history on uh, Twitter. 
Anything else we want to add? That's it for me for now. Anyway. I think I've talked enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well then, that's the end of the reel. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>